morning. I still got 10 minutes. It's still morning. So uh, um, I don't know if you've really caught the whole grasp of what happened with Alpha, um, but one of the stories, uh, I love what happened at Fishbones. I love what was happening here. Um, but the youth, uh, it was, it just was very, I don't even have a good word for it, electric. Um, so I've been on staff here at Grace uh, for almost 10 years, and um, we have never seen the numbers that we've seen uh, showing up on Wednesday night. So they've been having 140 to 160 kids jammed into Theater B, watching the Alpha videos and sharing. It's been awesome. Uh, one of the seniors in high school sent this to me this week. It said, it's been unbelievable. I've invited some of my close friends, and to see them really get into and understand what this life is all about has been such a special experience for me. Also, because of how much they've loved it, they've been inviting other people. It's just been an amazing chain reaction, and it all started because I simply asked one friend to come to Alpha. I love that story. Um, one of the things we ask is that you send us your stories uh, what happened in Alpha? How did, how did God meet you in Alpha? We would love to still get those. You can send those right to me. You can send them to Lynn Jones, send them to Penny, anybody on staff. Um, we'd love to read and see what God is doing um, and sharing that. There is uh, no question uh, that God is moving at Grace Community Church. It's been uh, really fun to be a part of it. Um, amen. I always like the second service is much more clappy than the first service. It's so much easier for me. Yeah, you should clap because you guys are clappy. Yeah, <laughs> saw that coming. Um, just a few announcements. There's tons of things going on at Grace. Make sure you read your bulletin. Make sure you go on uh, uh, the website, gracewire.com. But um, one of the things I want you to be aware of is we have this great concert coming up, national recording artist, uh, award-winning recording artist. Um, I love her music. It's awesome. Uh, it was actually my idea to bring her to Grace because uh, my son, who's cool, said you should listen to her, and I actually liked it. Um, but we have, I think, a video that we can show you real quick, but Audrey's coming on the 18th. So Audrey Saad, December 18th, uh, 7.30 is the concert. Tickets are $10. You can buy them today. I'm pretty sure the, the um, concert's going to sell out. We're doing this with another church here in the Gross Points, uh, and they're going to sell tickets as well. So if you're thinking you want to come, my suggestion is buy your block of tickets today um, because they're for sale. Make sure you're here for Thanksgiving Eve. That would be the day before Thanksgiving, which happens to be a Wednesday this week. Or this, Think about it. That's how it works. 7 o'clock. Uh, men, there's a big event happening at Buffalo Wild Wings on December 5th at 8 o'clock. Uh, great way if you're kind of new at Grace and trying to figure out how to get connected with the men at Grace. Uh, it's a nice way to just uh, hang out and uh, eat some wings and whatever else they do, watch some sports on TV. And then the women are having a special event on December 4th called Brave. Um, both of the men and the women have a kiosk back there. If you want information about that, you can just stop after the service and jump in there. So let me... Um, give you a sermonette because we don't have that much time. But over the last seven weeks, we've been in this series that we've called Foundation, and we've been asking the same question every week. What's holding you up? And really, the idea of the question is, is what is, what is it that you are leaning into? What is it you've built your foundation on that allows you to withstand the storms when they come? 
what keeps you from collapsing in difficult seasons. And another way we've talked about this, what's holding up, is, is what is it that you're building on? What is the foundation of your life that allows you to continue to build, continue to move forward, continue to, to, to build on your, on your faith? I've been saying this every week, and, and I just want to say it one more time because it's so important for you to remember what you believe, how you think about God, your theology, that's really what theology is, is our thoughts about God. Your theology shapes every decision you make, right? Every, every way that you live your life is, is, comes back to the, to the view that you have of God. So if you find yourself living outside of the, the lines, if you find yourself in behaviors that, that you shouldn't be in, it all comes back to your view of God. What you think about God, how you view God, really is your foundation. And it's important for you to, to ponder, what is your foundation? So we've built a series around uh, a bunch of questions. The first week we ask, is there more to life? Is there more to life than just, I'm born, I live, and then I die? Is there more out there? We ask, who is Jesus? Why did Jesus die? How can we have faith? How do we pray? We talked about prayer last week. We even talked about, does God still heal? How do we deal with evil in the world? And this week, the question we're asking is, what is the church? What is church? And is church a necessary part of our foundation in following God? What is church? Now, I want to just kind of tell you, when I talk about church, when I answer this question today, I'm talking about both the local church, Grace Community Church, sometimes we call that the Little C Church, but I'm also talking about the church universal. I'm talking about all of those who are followers of Christ, who make up the body of Christ, regardless of what Little C Church they go to. And I'm going to just talk about the church, and I'm just going to trust that you can make that leap as I'm talking about that. I am talking about both the local church and the church of make, made up of those who follow Christ. But the question I'd ask is, is the church even relevant today? Is it, is it even necessary? I grew up in the church. I had a, I had a good upbringing. I had a really dynamic uh, youth group and youth group experience, um, really knew who God was. But when I went off to college, I stopped following God. I really um, kind of turned in a, in a different direction. And, and what I used to say all the time when people would ask me questions is I would say this. I would say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because I don't need all that church stuff, that religious stuff to follow God. So that was my quote, and like that, a much, much younger Doug Kempton. Dwayne was protecting me, didn't want anybody to walk out of here and say, this is what the pastor said today, right? So I was younger then, and I thought, of, and you've maybe even said something similar to that in your life. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. Or you've heard somebody for sure say to you, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I just want to tell you, I was wrong. I needed to be at church. In those time of my life, I was doing all kinds of stupid things. I was making all kinds of bad decisions. Um, I really didn't have any kind of intimacy with God. I never stopped believing. I never stopped believing who Jesus was and what Jesus did for me, but I had no semblance of a, uh, of a relationship, of a walk with God. And part of it was because I had stopped connecting with other people. I had stopped going to church. I learned firsthand that church is a critical part of my foundation. You can't walk out your faith on your own. You cannot do this thing called Christianity on your own. It's not a solo thing. It's not how God designed it. So what is the church? 
Well, the first answer to the question, what is a church, is, is we are a family. We see the family language all over the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you see the word family multiple times it comes up. And, but we're going to land in one particular passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. It's way back in the back of your Bible. So if you're looking for it, it's, it's near the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. If you're using an electronic Bible, that's fine. We love that. Uh, if you want to tweet while you're here, we love that. If you want to send out a Facebook message, let your friends know you're learning about Jesus. Uh, that's a good thing. So if you feel the urge to type something, um, that's great. I encourage you to bring whatever you use at home to study the Word of God to church so that you have it. So as you make notes in your Bible or if you make notes on your electronic version, it's right there for you when you get home. It's just good to use the same thing. So that's our encouragement to you. So let me uh, figure out where I am in my notes here. So if while you're looking for that, let me just explain what's going on. The, the writer of Hebrews is is explaining or expounding, if you will, on the work of Jesus. What, what was it that Jesus accomplished? What is it that Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection did for us? So that's kind of the subject, if you will, of, of what the writer is writing about. And, and, and what we have here in, in verse 11 is kind of a defining statement of the chapter. It's in a lot of ways explains in, in one sentence what happens when we put our faith in Christ. And it gives us this visual of the church. Got it? So Hebrews 2.11, the writer says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So if you look at the very beginning of the verse, there's two important truths that come out just in those very first few words. It says, the one who makes people holy. The first truth is, the one. The one here is Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes people holy. It's a, it's a supernatural act of God. It's something that is done to us and not that we make happen ourselves. We do not make ourselves holy. We do not say, okay, I've decided to follow Jesus. I got to live in such a way. And if, and if I live in such a way, then I am going to be holy. No, something supernatural happens. It's, it's a transactional sort of thing that the, the work of God, Jesus makes, so it's the one who makes people holy. But the question we have to ask is, what does it mean to be holy? I don't like overused religious words. Uh, if you ever sit in a smaller classroom setting with me and somebody uses any kind of religious jargon, I will say, well, what does that mean? And sometimes they get frustrated with me because they'll say something like, well, we just need to leave it at the foot of the cross. And I'll say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means we have to leave it at the foot of the cross. <laughs> well, what does that mean? Because we can learn to use religious speak. We can learn to use religious words. We even learn how to use them in a sentence, but we don't really know. When I say no, I mean deeply know what those words mean. So we have all kinds of, of words that come into play, like, justification and sanctification. We talk about being vulnerable, and we talk about community, and we talk about being broken, and we talk about being redeemed. These are all powerful, powerful words that have profound theological truth and, and, and implications to our lives. But if we don't know what they mean, if we really haven't pondered them, if we really haven't allowed them to make sense, not just here, but here, then they're just words. And they're really not having much of an effect. And we make that mistake, I think, in, in Christendom often. We have phrases and words 
that mean very little. And there's some of those words in this particular passage of Hebrews that, that are worth our time to stop and say, well, what does that word mean? And holy is one of those words. What does it mean to be holy? Well, it literally means to be set apart. But the truth is that still sounds like just a religious term. Okay, I'm holy. I'm set apart. This was a hard one for me. I actually asked a lot of my friends, I even talked to Meg about it, like, like how would you define holy in a way that people could grab onto it? And it's really hard because, because at the heart, what it, what it means is to be completely other than. So whatever you think it is, being holy is, is completely other than. So in, in the Old Testament, God is described as holy, holy, holy. And in the, in the ancient writing, to say something twice was to give it important meaning. To say it three times was to, to really make an emphasis on it. And so the writer is saying, God is completely, completely, completely different than you think he is. So as soon as you think you understand who God is, as soon as you start to reflect on who God is, there's a part of us that's understand, yeah, we can understand God somewhat, but that, that God is completely other than, he's holy, he's He's more than we can even imagine. He's more than our, our brains can comprehend. God is holy. But the amazing thing is the passage in Hebrews says, Jesus makes us holy, which means he makes us completely other than. He sets us apart. And the scriptures say he actually makes us a new creation. That something happens when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When, when, we, when we say, God, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. He makes us holy. The question is, is that having an impact in your life? So we talked a, a couple weeks ago about this idea of authority. And I, I talked about the fact that one of the ways to view authority is to see the root word of authority is the word author. Right? And one of the ways to see author is what names you. Right? And so if you remember, we brought Zoe up here and, and we stuck all those names to Zoe that were names that the world had given her. But then we peeled those names off and we gave her the names that, that God would give her. And, and, and there's this picture of living into who God made you to be. So if, if you are a new creation, if, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and God has made you holy, the question is, have you given authority to God to actually to live into and out of being holy, being different, being set apart. That's what it means to be holy. The one who makes us holy is Jesus. And once again, I have no idea where I am in my notes. So give me a second here and I'll figure it out. Get all excited and just start talking. All right. Thank you for that. We're set apart, a new creation. We are made holy. But the question is, what does this have to do with the church? What does it have to do with, with who we are as a church? Let's keep reading the Hebrews passage. It says that both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's all of those people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brother and sister set apart a new creation and the moment that that happens we become family we become brothers and sisters not just with one another but our big brother is jesus himself now you talk about a spiritual term that we throw around loosely and don't really sink into and understand jesus 
is your big brother. Like Jesus is your brother. The passage actually says, and this isn't just metaphoric language. Actually, the scriptures say that you're grafted into the family, that you're adopted, that you're an heir and a co-heir with Christ. He is literally your brother. And you talk about just a, a, a spiritual truth that we throw around flippantly that God is our father and Jesus is our brother. If we just, if there was one thing you left with today, one thing that would change your life, it's that truth. If you really could comprehend and understand what it means that Jesus is your brother, that God is your father, it would radically change your life. I've been thinking about this all week, this, like, how little I understand this. I was talking about it with Meg yesterday morning at breakfast. My wife is named Meg, for those of you who don't know. So that's why I was having breakfast with her, because she's my wife. So we're having breakfast, and we're talking about this very subject. I said, isn't it amazing? Like, Jesus is our brother. Like, have you ever just thought about how cool that is? And she said, well, I'm not sure that that, like, excites me the way God as my father excites me. And the more we talked about it, the more she started to realize, well, it's because her brother, she's the youngest of seven, but she was one of those surprise babies. And so by the time she came along, her brothers literally were gone. They were in the military. She's, she's a couple decades almost behind her her brothers, and they said so they never really were a part of her life, so there wasn't anything real inviting in that. And some of you are thinking, as I say, Jesus is your brother, you're like, yeah, that's not all that good to me. I already have brothers, and I don't know what to do with them. So having more brothers may not be all that encouraging, but remember where we started this whole thing was about being holy, right? That, that holy is completely other than, and so he's not a brother like we know brother to be, and there's some similarities and things we can learn, but it's but it's completely better than, and then as Meg and I were talking at breakfast, I started talking about our own kids. And I started talking about how our sons love my daughter. My boys would take a bullet for their sister. They dote over her. She's the only girl, and they love her. And they, they, they listen to her in a different sort of way. They, they are there for her. They want the best for their sister, Casey. They want, they, if Casey called them today and said, look, I, I need your help, they would drop what they're doing, and they would be right there helping them. There's this picture, and it began to get us into this, like, like excitement about that's Jesus is our brother. He wants the best for you. He, he cares deeply for you. There's just something amazing about this picture of Jesus as our brother. But if Jesus is your brother, then God is your father. And the truth is we have the same problem there of making this, this mental jump into it. So in my life, I had a great dad. He loved Jesus. And my mom and dad gave us Jesus at a young age, and that was a good thing. Uh, my dad was always there uh, every day, came home from work at 5.30. I mean, just you could set your clock by when my dad was going to walk in. He was at dinner every single night. Uh, he was a great provider. Um, but he never spoke. He never, I, I don't remember one time where my dad spoke anything into my life or encouraged anything special. He just, he was a great provider, but he was a silent provider. Well, when I naturally think about God, you know what God is like to me? He is always there, very predictable, and always silent. But that's not God. That's my earthly father. But my image of God the Father is always rooted in in our earthly father. So for you, whatever your experiences with your dad, in those areas where your dad fell short, and I just want you to know, if you had a dad that was human, and most of us did, then your dad fell short in certain areas, in some way more than others. But your, your view of God as father, your view as Jesus' brother, is all rooted in our own 
family experiences, and let's be honest, our family experiences aren't always great. So if your, God, if your dad never was there, you might have a hard time believing that God is there for you if your dad abandoned you at a young age. You might feel a sense of fear to trust God with anything because what if he leaves me? If you were abused by a father, then God, the image of God, could even be one of strength and abuse. If you were raged over by a father, then you go. Those are our natural ways. But you remember, we talked about being holy. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be completely other than, completely different than. So you need to have a, a new way of thinking. I had to reshape my brain to think about God as the loving Father, a God who would never leave me or forsake me, a God who desires to speak into every aspect of my life, a God who's more than just there, but present. So we have to, we have to do these mental gymnastics of figuring out what it means that God is, is our Father, that Jesus is our brother. And we also had to figure out what it means that, that we are brothers and sisters, that we are a family. Unlike any other family, a holy set apart completely other than family. What I really wanted to do at this part of the sermon is I wanted to have the little fast talker that comes at the end with all the little qualifiers. So if you take this medicine, you know, be careful of this medicine because it's going to cause, and they go through the whole thing. There's kind of like a qualifier. Here's the qualifiers. Family is complicated. We don't always agree. We don't, we're not always kind to one another. Sometimes we say the wrong things. Sometimes we fail to say the right things at the right time. Families sometimes hurt one another, and that's why we need to extend grace to one another. Because you will, as you interact in this thing called the church and this thing called the family, you will get hurt. Not you might get hurt. You will get hurt because that's what we do. But you know what? That's the way it is in family. If you want to have a healthy marriage, you're going to have to extend grace to one another you want to have a healthy relationship with your brothers and sisters, you're going to have to extend grace to one another. So, so it's not like we get it perfect. We used to have a pastor here by the name of Al Coonley, and Al Coonley would say regularly, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> right? And he's right. Church is not perfect. We are not perfect. But I will tell you, I think this is an area where we get it right this whole idea of family. So when we talk to people, you know, what brought you to grace? Why did you come back? What they say more often than not is I felt so welcome there. I felt like I was home. I hear that word all the time. So we're getting something right along the way of, of creating this, this atmosphere of family, of creating this, this atmosphere of community. And the truth is, if we want to embrace and to live into Hebrews 2.11, then we have to be the family that Jesus has called us to be. The reason you can't follow God alone, the reason that quote of mine is, is bunk and it doesn't work is because you're designed to do life in the context of church. You're designed to do life with the encouragement of others in your life, with the accountability of each other in your life. God designed us to sharpen one another. It's why we have to do, do this thing called church and community. So, the church is a family. And the second thing I want you to leave with today is an understanding that the church is the answer. The church is the answer. There is a passage of scripture that for uh, many years has captured my heart and captured my imagination. It's a passage of scripture I go back to often that remind me of just the, the weight and the excitement of the calling of being a pastor in the local church. The passage ennobles me. The passage impresses me. It inspires me. Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says to Peter, On 
this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Two quick observations, kind of a way of wrapping up the service. The first thing is he says is, I will build my church. The church is God's possession. It's Christ's possession. It's, it's a Christ thing. So I, Doug Kempton, I don't own this church. The elders don't own this church. The congregation doesn't own the church. We are God's possession. We are Christ's possession. He says to Peter, I will build my church. Grace Community Church is God's church. And the second part of that passage that inspires me and gives me passion as it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And when I read this passage, I see movement and I see action and I see the, the church of Jesus Christ storming the gates of hell. In all of my nerdiness, what I want to do right now is show you the last scenes of the Lord of the Rings when they're storming the gates of Mordor. But I've been told that would just be too weird. So those of you who are nerds like me and love that scene, that's what I envision. I envision a, a small army of people empowered by something greater than they even understand, storming a place that they should never be that seems so dark and so dangerous, but they're storming the gates of hell and they're taking the light of the world into darkness. That's what this passage is all about. It's not about us sitting on our hands. The church was never meant to be passive. The church is not this thing we do on Sunday. All this thing is, on Sunday is meant to do is to get you fired up to go out and take the message of Christ to whatever context you live in. That's what church is all about. The church is the answer. The church is the answer to ISIS. It's not us cowering in our homes, afraid of, of what might happen to us. Even this whole refugee stuff, I, I'm so put off by the conversation of being afraid of the refugees. Why don't we take Christ to the refugees? Imagine if the church, not just grace, but imagine if the church, all of those who called Jesus Lord and Savior, imagine if we came together and entered into that crisis. There is this this ripe field right now of all of these people who are desperate to be loved. And what if we showed up and loved them with this compassionate love of Jesus Christ? It would change the world. That's the answer. The church is the answer. The church is the answer to broken marriages. God uses this thing called the family. God uses this thing called his body and the people within the church to enter into the lives of other people and help people. When you participate in the church, when you really give yourself to what Christ is doing, broken relationships are healed. They're mended. There's restoration. There's reconciliation. What about the racial tension? To me, it's worse than it's ever been. At least that's the way it feels. It feels like there's a new wave of, of black-white racial tension in the United States. That, and I, I hate to say it's worse than it's ever been because I certainly didn't live through decades that were so horrendous. But there's something new going on. What's the answer to racial tension? You know what it is? It's the church. We are a mosaic. That's what we say. That's our mission. We are a mosaic striving to, look like, to live like Jesus. Look around the room black and white, sitting together, worshiping together. You know why we do that? Because it's the gospel. Because the gospel says, I'm going to take people who are radically different, and under the, under the, the gospel, I'm going to make them the same. 
I'm going to make them one. I'm going to actually make them a family. Black, white, rich, poor, young, old, come together to be different, but one under the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is the answer to the racial tension. It's the answer to our suffering. It's the answer to spiritual deprivation. It's the answer to anxiety. This thing that we call the church, this family, this body of Christ, it's the weapon in the hands of God that he uses to take the message of Christ. He doesn't have to use the church. He chooses to use his church to take the message to the world. This is what allows us to have immeasurably more impact. There is so much going on at Grace. Over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about all of the amazing partnerships that God has given us, all of the amazing opportunities. You know what the answer to the, to the education crisis in Detroit is? It's the church. When we step in with something like SOAR and we teach every willing third grader to read at or above grade level, it changes the education system. Imagine having a classroom of kids who are all reading at or above grade level. It changes everything. Think about what we've done with the sports program. Think about what my father's business is doing. We have this opportunity as a church, little C, to make our contribution to the church, big C, and see immeasurably more impact, more impact than we can ask, think, or imagine. And we're just going to talk about that. For the next three or four weeks, we're going to talk about the impact that God is allowing us to have, and we're going to invite you to participate in that, to be a part of what God is doing. So what is the church? church is a family, and the church is the answer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you that, that this passage of scripture in Hebrews, there's so much, and just, just one sentence, there's so much for us to grasp. Thank you that you have made us holy. Lord, help us to live into being holy. Help us to allow that word to author us. Thank you that you've made us family. Help us to live into being a family. Lord, thank you that the church is the answer, that you will use this church, that you will use your church to storm the gates of hell. Lord, help us to be a church that's having an impact, not just in Detroit, but allowing us to plant a church in Morocco, take the message of Christ to India, all the places that you've opened up for us to, to have an impact, and more impact than we can ask, think, or imagine. Help us to be the church you've called us to be at Maras and I-94. And thank you for the promise of your scripture that the gates of hell will not prevail. Whatever darkness we're facing, your light is enough to get us into it, get us through it, get us out of it. Help us to invite you into those places. Help us never to cower in fear. Help us to know that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But thanks for your son, Jesus. A good work was accomplished on the cross so that we could be holy, so that we could be family, so that we could be the answer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Remember, there's always people down here that would love to pray with you and for you. So if you need prayer, come on down. We hope to see you next Sunday.